The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Ensemble Advice is not a licensed financial services provider and does not provide financial services. Before making investment decisions, you should obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Ensemble Advice South Africa. Today, I'm very excited to have with me my good friend, Mr. Estian Fisahi. Estian is a financial planning consultant at Alexander Forbes, a certified financial planner and someone that I studied with at the University of Stellenbosch, where our friendship started uh, more than 15 years ago. Estian, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, Louis. You're 15 years. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> if you always say that, I don't feel that old, but then you realize it's been 15 years. Yeah, so it's been quite a few years we've known each other and studied together and our paths diverged a bit after working, but we've always stayed friends. So thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. It's a pleasure. I mean, we're we're one of the few ones that have actually, I think, kept in or stayed in this industry at least, which yeah. I, I'd love to hear your take on why is it so difficult for people to... Hang on. Oh, I think it's something we've talked about the other day because you look on LinkedIn and you see the people you started with and very few of the people I started my career with are still in the industry. I think it's one or two. We, the other one is on the fringe because they're not actually practicing. They're more in the field. And I, I think starting in this industry is hard. So it is a high cost because it's it's you either swim or you sink and there's no in between sadly there's no slowly building your career and growing um i remember my start my career with apsa um apsa insurance and financial advisors in the day and i don't think they exist anymore and that's i think the telling t- tale sign that you see is that it's a struggling industry i remember we were 22 that started after the first three years there were three of us left so, and I think the other guy that I know is the other guy that's still there um, and going strong. But the reality was you started, and I remember I started on a loan. So I didn't get a salary. I didn't get a fee. You just said, here you go. I had to pay my own laptop, my own insurance, everything. And there you go. And that's a daunting task. And I don't think it's the cup of tea for everyone. So I think it's... Also, businesses to blame because they apply the sink and swim model 
but that's the reality, sink or swim. Well, what was the rationale behind ABSA including financial planners in their offering? Was it to just extract more value out of their customers or, or delivering something special? I think that's a good question. I thought back about it because when you start working, you have actually no idea what really everyone offers because you go in, you apply for jobs and you get these diff different offers and you try and figure out what's the best. I went with APSA mainly because of the base, the access to leads, because for me, that made sort of a sense to pay it. Um, and now I was always thinking that's what APSA's forwards were as well, saying, well, listen, guys, you come in, you have access to all the banking clients, you literally log in, you see who's sitting with money markets mm -hmm. and access. So you can find clients quite easily and then just market yourself. Um, I think the downside to that was is you had basically the APSA model was you get six months loan and you had to repay that loan effectively from the fees you write in the end of the day. I think what's nice about that model is you get people that will survive in this industry. But the bad thing is you also lose a lot of people that would have survived if you just given them more of a chance. So uh, there's uh, some rationality in it, but I wouldn't advise people to use that model because I do think you lose good advisors and you retain perhaps more sales-orientated people. Um, I, I, I see myself lucky that I think I fit into both spheres. I'm highly analytical and I, I, I can probably say I market myself quite well. Um, and I think that's the people that survived. But your analytical people, they didn't survive. And I think we need more of them in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, if you can flex your financial planning muscle, you still need that relationship with a client, right? We, we see a few people thriving in the power planning space, but it always feels as if that is seen as l slightly less than someone actually interacting with the client. Like, where do you see the profession of power planners play out in South Africa? I mean, I'd love to hear your oh, thoughts on that. Essential. Um, I'm a big, no, I see myself a bit of a jack of all trades. So I'm comfortable speaking to people. I'm a, I've done public speaking my whole life, so I can get in front of a thousand people and speak without being nervous, where I know some of my colleagues, they, it's deaf, <laughs> they refuse it. And I can be comfortable in front of clients, I can handle conflict. So I found myself that set of skills, but I've realized it's actually quite rare. But I always also can tell you this, I don't like always doing it. It's very, very draining for me to do analysis the whole day to write reports where other people thrive in that. And para planners I see as an essential part of where we can grow towards because it's impossible for everyone to be good at everything. We have to sort of realize where your limitations are and also where your strengths are and rather grow yourself into what you enjoy doing, like talking to people it energizes me quite a bit. Some, day, some days it don't, um, but, and then I enjoy the analytical part, but there's some people uh, that just loves doing it. And synergized working, where you have a para planner and a client-facing person should be key. The problem I think is one is being overvalued and being paid more. I personally think para planners are underpaid usually, and that's why we don't always see them feature as much as they should in practices. I love this idea of it's what you gain energy from. Like, how do you measure that? Do you do you sit back at the end of the day and say, hey, I feel energized? Or it, it, it reminds me of this idea of if someone's extroverted, they tend to get energy from people versus being alone if you're introverted. Like, how do you apply this model to, to your skills? Good question. Um, 
I, I must say it's it's something you have to discover. And that's why I tell everyone you have to try every bit of a business. You can't just say, I'm this. Um, if I do my personality test, my wife always says I'm I'm probably a bit mental because when I do my test, I land on the line between extroverted and introverted. So I'm not an extrovert and I'm not an introvert. Which I'm not sure what it means. The but best of both, Estienne. Yeah. <laughs> you could perhaps argue that, but the worst of both. We don't. We don't even know. Um, for me, it's the fun thing is when I go out to clients and I hear a problem. That's probably what excites me. So that's where my analytical blank kicks in. I I listen to them. I hear the problem they're having, and immediately I start seeing solutions. And I sit down and I have a. I think where my skill comes in is I can convey the possible out solutions to them in a very easy speaking way where they get excited because they have this problem. And I always say clients usually come to me because they don't know the questions to the answers they want. And for me, it's quite nice helping clients find those questions and then help looking them for the answers. That's what's energized me. If I walk away, I, I was like, oh, I can't go away, do this. But then I see clients the whole day and the next day I have to go and sit and I have to actually go and do this. I have to go write this up and I have to write this idea into a story that's compliant. Perhaps that's the best word in our industry to use. And I think that's where it drains my energy. I, I know because I have to do this today. I have to go after this and go write stuff down. But I would rather sit with clients, find the solutions and do that. But you have to experiment with it because you only know what you love if you do it and you feel that energy, it's tangible. I think it's a great segue for us into the work you do at Alex Forbes, where a lot of the clients might not have such complex needs. And I specifically mean around what you were saying, figuring out the questions to ask to, to get to the right answers. How do you convey complex financial decisions that have life-changing impacts to someone that doesn't have the financial background and and at the same time please share with us a little bit of who the typical client would be that you would you'd work with or at least the range of clients yeah so <laughs> the reality of the range of clients is wide um i think that's a good place to start uh, i think that's as unique where i'm currently at is that i work from the guy in the front of the store to the ceo um, and one thing I can tell you, their needs are not that different. I think that's something that people sometimes miss is that they think because one person is earning 7,000 Rand a month and another is earning 3 million Rand um, a year, that these persons have drastically different needs. I disagree to a sense because I believe in the simplistic core basics. Now, when I see any client, I explain to him, listen, there's three things that you need to look at. And one is retirement planning. Now, I always say why I start with retirement planning is because we all will retire at some point. That's sort of the constant. We all know at some point we will retire. The, the definition of retirement, we can debate on a bit what that means, because it doesn't mean sit on the stoop and do nothing. It might be something different. But retirement planning, I start with because that's a certainty. Most people I work with, that's kind of a certainty. They have a, a shelf life and we know sort of when that date will be. The if, next, if you're lucky enough to reach that age... Yes. you would have to stop working. That, that's the mm. idea. So that's why I start with, because that's something tangible we can work with. And clients can relate to that because mm. all of them can understand, listen, at one point, I'm not going to earn an income. And it's quite easy to segment that part off. And that's what I found is segment discussions. Elude to what's mm. more, but to help a client focus on one element and understand that. So what I tell a client is, listen, today we'll do retirement planning. 
But note, there's still going to be estate planning. And I tell them estate planning is if you pass away during this time. We don't know if that's going to happen. We all know we're going to die, but we don't know the date. So that's why I leave that to second. So we it's first a different build, theme. It's a different theme. And mm. then we'll look at if you pass away that we can still achieve your retirement goals. And I usually split it to estate liquidity and then survivor care. We, uh, we say, well, let's look after the people. And... Those two topics help people understand sort of more what we'll do there. And then the last part I tell them, we'll do risk planning, where we look at your disability and critical illness. But we'll leave those because those might never happen. You might never be, become disabled. You might never get a critical illness, highly unlikely in today's terms. But if you segment that off, clients feel in control because now when you sit with them and say, topic today, retirement planning. They know what they're talking about. And this works from the youngest guy to the oldest person because it's something more tangible now they can sort of take on and say, okay, retirement. Now we go segment that. And retirement planning is then not limited to retirement funds. You look at tax-free savings, you look at investment accounts, you look at property. You expand that topic to include more in that. Now, Trust me, this is not where client is limited, but this is sort of what I call the foundation phase, where we start with a member and just take them through the journey and map it out. What do you have? Say, this is what I have here, this is what I have there, so that they can start off being part of the conversation. Because I feel this is where the difference comes in, is if you sit with a client and they don't know what questions to ask, they don't, they're not a participant in the journey, they all... They're just a sort of an outsider watching you do something. I prefer having a client involved in the decision-making. I just need to enable him to make those decisions, which is a bit harder to do um, than sell selling. Here's a quote, and you go with that, and then you'll be fine. So that's how I see it, and that's universal across all members. From the CEO, I'm dealing with one of the executive clients now. That's exactly the same process I've dealt with. Yes, there's more assets and more puzzle pieces, but the principles are the same. What are the questions that you ask to pull them in? You know, you just mentioned they could very easily be an outsider to the conversation. I'd love to hear the, the questions that you would ask to, to start pulling them into the conversation. So I think that differs on personality more than, you know, I, I wouldn't say I have some questions I know I'm going to ask. It's sort of instinct. If I see a client is not engaged, I try and get them engaged by asking them, do they know people in the same situation? Because I usually try and stress the So let's focus on retirement planning because I think mm. that's a bit easier and something I work with mostly. Um, let's say I'm retiring someone now. I try and understand what they've earned, what they need to earn. So I'm trying to bring reality to the table. And then once I have reality to the table, I say to them, okay, what do you want? And this is a sad reality is most clients we see probably retire with a third they were earning before they came to see us. Now, I know that's going to be sort of the statistic. And from numbers, I can quickly see because I prepped beforehand and I know what I'm going to tell this guy. But now I need to get him to a point to realize what he wants. And I want him to engage. If he doesn't have it, I ask him to bring bank statements so that we can sort of see what he's spending and help him build a budget. And once he has that budget and that tangible what he knows needs to come in, now I show him, okay, what can he get? And then, then there's that gap and I ask him, how will we do fill this gap? Because then he's in, he's part of this because he realizes he needs to do something. And I tell him, listen, you can't do much now because I usually see people at retirement. 
Then it's, I always tell people, if you come and see me at retirement, it's not financial planning, it's crisis management, where if you see me five, 10 years out, then we can actually plan and structure and do something. But when you get to that gap analysis, we have to look, say, what's the best option we can do um, on the table? I tell them the cards has been dealt. We now have to play this hand. How do we bridge this gap to best? And then most people engage and it's tough. I always tell people it's tough because I had a client recently where they were earning 15,000 Rand before they retired. And when, when they retired, they were earning five. How do you fill 10,000 Rand a month in gap? But then you start chatting about other options, saying, listen, have you thought about being an Uber driver? Things expanding their thought patterns in that regard. And then they engage. But there's no easy answer and it will differ. I found highly analytical clients automatically engage because they ask questions about everything. Then you actually have to try and put back more in the box to help them focus those questions. So it really depends on the client, but um, mostly it's it's instinct. I can't really explain that too much, but you'll find that you enjoy finding guiding the client down the road. I like how you've grouped that into two. It's either saying, okay, how engaged are you? And then when you engage, are you engaging on the right things? Mm. Because we can so easily have conversations about things that are interesting, but are not important. Yeah. How do you apply that thinking to when you're developing yourself as a financial planner? Because there's there's so many things out there that's very interesting, yet it's not as important to delivering better advice. Share with, with us a little bit like how Estian develops himself, because I know this is something yeah. that you're very passionate about, but I want to know that filtering process to say, actually, this is where I'm best going to spend my time in the next. Yeah, um, I think that's tough uh, because you have to find a niche that works for you. And you, it's only through failure that you know what works. Um, you have to constantly fail forward um, and realize what works or doesn't work. So. One thing I've done is where I've seen clients struggle, I go make a, my own little brochure or I explain something in a way that works. And then I present that and I refine it. I, I take my presentation. So I really actually started with presentations in PowerPoint. So death by PowerPoint initially, where it was like a hundred slides. That hundred slide PowerPoint slide is now down to less than 10, where I've taken the crucial elements which clients need to focus on. So let's take retirement as example. So I've broken down retirement, which I've realized there's three key decisions anyone has to make. One, when do you want to retire? This is very important. I start lines there, I say, when do you want to retire? Because do you want to defer? Do you need an income? So that leads to a lot of questions. The second one is how much cash do you want to take? Then we focus on capital needs, debt repayment, things like that. But then we also talk about the tax. And then the third question is, what income do you want? What's the sustainability there? So those are the three components in retirement I focus on. That's all I do with a client. Um, a good example is if a client comes to me, I want a quote. I tell them, no, I won't give you a quote. I will go through advice process, sure. But if you want a quote, that's not me. And you have to be hard on that because the problem you'll find is if you try and get the deal, you'll start dancing to the client's tune. If you start dancing to the client's tune, you'll start playing the sales game and you will always lose because sales, there's always going to be a better salesman out there than you. There's always going to be a better brochure. That's how it is. But advice is going to be solid and a process. And it's not easy to replicate that process. So you have to find what works in that moment. I found focus on these three topics and helping clients focus on that. And that came down from 100 slides. It was my PowerPoint initially. But you refine it 
day by day, year by year. Um, I've just redone mine where I've looked at it and I and you have to critically assess yourself. So that's a self-assessment to you say, oh, to, I think this is less important. It doesn't resonate with my audience. Well, or how did you, you approach that? You see it as well because sometimes when clients say, I don't understand this, okay. or when clients say, oh, I love this, um, you have to take those feedback as well and define it, but it needs to make sense that you can comfortably explain it as well. Um, take my asset maps. Now, I've, I know there's a program asset map, but I've been for years been doing this little or nanograms, mind maps, whatever it might be, to explain everything of a client on a one pager. And that sort of has led to clients engaging more because now they can engage on a level that I am because I've simplified it to that level. So it's good to test it. You need to be willing to fail and to be open to criticism. It, you can't always and share ideas. One thing I've noticed in the way I work is people sort of, I found something that works and I don't want to share. And I found my secret sauce. I'm not going to share it with anyone else. And it's quite silly because even if that I use some of the other people's secret sauce, it doesn't work for me because I don't, it's not my style. So collaborate, talk, mm. look at how people are doing things, but don't copy paste. Test it, adjust it, and constantly review it. There's no magic bullet that works every time, every year. Um, you have to adjust it. For, my, for instance, for my highly technical clients, I will probably include cash flows. For non-technical clients, they don't care. They don't understand the linear projection that's shown there with the assumptions and everything. I don't focus on cash flows. There I focus on key principles. So you have to understand that there's no blanket approach. It's going to be per person, per individual, but you have to constantly test yourself. Now, self-evaluation is good, but you need to test it with others and your clients are the best feedback you can get, but you have to listen to them. This theme of constantly adapting your actual plan or the planning process to the client makes me wonder, do you do some kind of an assessment with that client to figure out, oh, this person is more analytical or what skills have you developed to pick those things up? Yeah, okay, so I've seen what you do. You are a lot better than that. You actually do a questionnaire. I have the, how should I put it? A knack. <laughs> I just guess. It's a gut feel. I sort of know, I have an instinct that I know what the client approaches. And you, you sort of know because, let me use example. A client, uh, let's use my December examples. So, so December is an interesting time. I usually try not to go and leave because it's panic mode for me on that side. And I worry more than anything else because... On the 15th, I get people that call me. Hey, listen, I've retired now. How do I get an income? Now, this person is retiring end of December after 40 years of service, and now they need guidance. I know that sort of person is not someone that's attention to detail, but they now in crisis management mode. Where I get people that's 10, 15 years from retirement, and they sit down and they come with everything packed and ready. They have everything summarized. They have an Excel spreadsheet. So there's certain telltale time signs that you can telltale signs that you can pick up. Sit down and see. Okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He has a spreadsheet. He's monitoring this, and you know it. And if you see the spreadsheet has a weekly amount, then you know. Okay, this guy is very much on performance. So you'll pick that up. But I don't. I don't have a specific method. But I do think having a method would perhaps be a better approach. No, I like that. I mean, the there's clues, yes. right? And things people like. You know, if you're focused on performance, you tend to do these things. Yeah. Uh, we tend to over-engineer advice and yes. and sometimes just saying, oh, okay, I think this would work better for you. Yeah, I think a good example of that is a risk profile. So, um, because 
I, I have a laugh at risk profile sometimes, the amount of results you can get from that. And for me, it's honest, when I sit down with a client, I tell them, listen, today, well, today's flavor, your willingness and your ability and stuff. And I think the over-engineering of stuff is sometimes where you lose the key message. And I think that's where you need to twiddle down what works for you and what does the client understand. I think if you have a target market, you can really refine it a lot better. Uh, my challenge is I don't have a target market because my target is my funds I have to service. So I do have a sort of a market, but from income wise, I, I retire someone that's earning 7,000 rand a month to 3 million quite easily. So where if you, for instance, just work in a company with this specific worker, engineers, for instance, you can perhaps refine that. But the key, I think, is you have to realize that everyone is different. And that's why you constantly have to tune to find the universal points. But then also when you add something additional to show um, where it works. Um, for instance, yesterday I sat with a client and all I did is on the team's meeting is I saw she was struggling with why she should preserve her money. And all I did is I showed her time value of money and I showed her, if you withdraw this, you're loaning from future you. This is how much you need to repay future you to make sure you're in the same position. And she immediately said, I'm not going to withdraw my money anymore because she saw I, we changed the concept. And that's why I say you sometimes have to be able to adjust on the spot to see, okay, this person is not getting what I'm saying. They want to withdraw because they want to buy this car now. That car's a beautiful car, but they don't understand the cost. So you have to sometimes change about to help them reach that understanding you have. Because I have heard so many of my young oh, this person is stupid. They're stupid because you haven't shown them why they're stupid. They don't understand it. If in their view, it's smart, I need this car now, I have this money, I have 39 years left to save, I'm gonna cash everything in, buy the car, and I have 39 years to make it up. One thing we use, for instance, um, what I did yesterday is I show she had 39 years. So in her case, I just took that amount and I said, you have 39 years, but you actually only have 468 paychecks left. That changed the discussion as well, because it suddenly she realized this is not as simple as I think it is. So you have to constantly adjust. There's no right answer there. It's like reframing the conversation. And I mean, there's, there's two things that I'm thinking of. The one is that you're almost acting like a teacher, just adapting the whole time, figuring out how to create this complex thing in a way where the student or the client in that mm. section would be able to understand. And then at the second time, you're also tapping into that emotional connection to do what's best for them in the long term, not necessarily what's best for them now. Yeah. No, that's why I think your question about para planners and consultants are key because I, I, I would love to refine the skill even more, but I have to spend, for instance, this week I'm, I've seen two clients, but I'm mostly doing admin and I hate it, <laughs> but I'm doing it because I have to do that. And I think that's where you need, you need to focus where you spend time. If you spend all your time on admin, you're not going to hone these skills, pick up on these cues. Um, I think that's fun. I sort of enjoy figuring out a person and I think ooh, I might be jumping a topic now, but thinking of this as well, one thing is technology is when clients engage, engage as well with technology versus not. So for instance, I prefer my first meetings being teams nowadays so I can establish that. If I see a client's not comfortable, all face-to-face -face onwards from there. But what I do like about the technology is I can record that session. So I feel more freely sharing information because the client can rewatch it. So I can info dump a little bit more in that session where if it's a face-to-face -face session, I would focus more on drawing a picture and helping clients 
more fix that knowledge that I'm trying to share. Also using Excel as an example, putting down, doing the calculation of power, um, uh, time value of money. So the client can see, oh, this guy actually knows his math. And then you explain the math to them and say, well, this is how it's done. And that's why I like the formulas. I apply, uh, I know them offhand. So I can apply them and say, this is it. And we can change it and we can play around. And you can actually in that moment help the client suddenly this thing of retirement, it's 39 years in the future, something becomes something now. Uh, by doing now, it costs me eight, nine hundred rand a month if I take all this money in cash over and above I need to save. And then you show them, okay, what do you need to save to achieve your goals? And they're like, I'm behind. And then the biggest asset she has time is suddenly valuable to her, where previously it was not. Literally just in that point, <clears throat> the words that you used spoke to what you're trying to accomplish, yeah. where you could have said, this is only 900 Rand, the client might say, oh, wow, yeah. okay, in that case, uh, let me take it, yeah. right? I have more than enough time, you know, retirement's gonna look very different the day we, we retire, or those kind of, how much do you think we influence our clients by our own bias and our own way of showing up, our own experiences, mm -hmm. and like, do we spend enough time uncovering that? No. Um I, I think we're guilty on that. And this is, I think, a point a lot of people differ with me because one criticism I've received a lot and I'm a bit tricky about that because I'm not sure if it's a criticism I want to take on board completely. My approach is aggressive with clients because my thing is I need to tell this guy now the truth. And sorry, you're not going to get that goal. Uh, let me use the example of approach where I've received criticism and this links to this point where you really need to challenge yourself because this is where I get sales versus advice because I see those two as vastly different. I dislike sales venomously. It's, it's, it's a curse word for me because sales means you sell something where advice means you understand what a client needs and then implement. Now, I'm not blind, there's links to it, but here's the example. I sat with a client that has 1.5 million rand in a pension fund. She wants to withdraw a third. She's left with a million rand. She needs 10,000 rand a month in pension. Now, we both know that's not a sustainable drawdown rate in a living annuity. However, I told her I refuse to give you a living annuity because there's no good outcome here. Your guaranteed annuity option, life annuity, gives you a better outcome However, it's not going to give you the income you need, but at least it's a sustainable outcome. She went to another broker at another company and he just sold her that and said, no, fine, it's no problem. Here's the quote, implemented, and she said to me, and she put a complaint in at HR and told me, SDN didn't want to give me what I want. Now, I refuse to give a client what they want because a client doesn't know what they need, but they do also know what they need. And that's where I say his advice is you need to sort of help a client really see reality. And that's why I dislike sales because sales rather creates the reality the client wants to see. Where advice forces the client more into the reality they need to face, to deal with it. I have one client that's a brilliant example. We sat down and it was a tough conversation. He was so angry at me. But I told him, you have to sell your house. You have to move in a smaller place. You have to do stuff now to achieve your goals, to be retired. Otherwise, you won't, you, you're going to have to sell this house at some point. The question is, is it going to be a voluntary sell or a forced sell? He's done all that. He's retiring next year and he's actually going to achieve his goals because for the last eight years, he made the hard decisions to change his lifestyle, his budget, 
to where he can actually afford to retire on what he'll have available. And that's something I feel is more valuable than telling this guy, no, you'll be fine, no, you'll be fine. And you reach retirement. I had another client the other day where his broker's his buddy, they go and hunt, they go to bars together. I did his analysis, he says, no, don't need to. Everyone says, I'll earn 40,000 Rand easy per month. I'm like, sure, well, let's test that. When I did the analysis, he's not even getting to 20. Now he's mad at me, but I show him the math. It's not rocket science, drawdown rates is drawdown rates. You can't sustain a 10% plus drawdown rate. So you have to be willing to be uncomfortable with your clients and, and be in conflict with your client because you have to shatter the reality of what they want for what it is. And I, that's why I say it's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> I'd like to know if you had that client that wanted the living annuity in a meeting room today, how would you have approached it differently for her to maybe see your point more clearly? Is there a way that we can approach it in a way where a client has that aha moment? Or do we just get comfortable to say some clients will probably not be able to see it because they don't want to see it? Yeah. I've honestly come to the conclusion if they don't want to see it, they don't want to see it. You can bring a horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. I've sort of learned that the hard way. Now, yes, there are ways, if I had more time, where I can engage with them and show them the folly of their mistakes. Um, but if a client decides this is what they want to do, they want to do it. Uh, I take another example. A client years ago, he decided he's going to take a level fixed annuity because it gives the maximum income and he's going to save every month and then fund his own increases. Human nature, it sounds great on paper. And this guy was engineer, sharp, bright, and he just said he's going to do that. Life happens. Human nature takes over. You just spend years, spend years. Now he, he's running into trouble. And now he's coming to me and saying, can't we change this? And I said to him, listen, remember that stage I told you, don't do it. You did it. I can't, we can't change this now. You, you said you're going to fund it. So I always tell people it's like gaining weight. Um, just one day the gene doesn't fit. And this is usually it as people ignore that problem until it's too late, but then it's quite a journey to get back to it. And sometimes you can't get back to it, especially in finance. So I don't know, I would, I, the part of me would hope you could change people. But to be honest, the amount of effort it would take from a consultant to really force someone in that way, I don't think that's reasonable as well, because my job is giving people advice, the best advice I possibly can give objectively on that table. Subjectively, they need to decide if that's good for them. If they don't, they have to live with that consequences. They're adults. That's that's the key, is we can't change that. Yeah, I think that a big part of this is where your experience comes in to say, I've seen this before. Like you said, it's the stories that you tell people, mm. right? This is These are the pitfalls and you can warn people, but a lot of the time, you know, they'd yeah. say, okay, I'm comfortable taking that risk. I'll go and find someone that can, that can implement it. Those clients that have come back to you and said, oh, now I can I can afford to actually retire compared to where I thought I was. Like, what's the feedback that you're getting from those clients now? Gold. Um, the people testify I've changed their lives. And that, that's what makes me feel good. Because I, I think the thing about financial planning is that the um, rewards you receive for that type of engagement is usually quite far in the future. <laughs> And by seeing this and now sitting with this client and him getting up and telling other people, listen, I, this guy changed my life because this is where I was heading. Now I've changed it. And it's not big changes, but suddenly something that was far in the future became a reality for a client, which he was an active partner. And I think that's nice because this guy trusts me now. And that's our currency is trust. You build trust by giving good advice. 
um, you destroy trust by selling things. That, that's my opinion on it. Is I've just seen it. Is if you get to a client and they want a quote and you just give them what they want, you, they usually come back in a complaint. I've seen it with the guys in the industry. Is client come in, oh, I've got this big deal of two million and this guy just walked in and I just put him in a unit trust. But there was no meaningful engagement or really process. And that's the example. And I, I, I use the example that when I started, one day a lady walked in at our offices. She said, oh, she has 10 million to invest. Now that's a walk-in. And I thought, how is this possible? You don't get 10 million walk-ins. I said, no, she was always sitting with the money in a money market account. But a friend told her she should put it into the Alan Gray equity fund because it's a good fund. Now she wants to do that. But after taking her through the process, she doesn't need to. There's no need for her to take any amounts of risk. Um, this is the only money she has. Now, yes, you can put a portion. But after that whole process, we actually just invested it in a completely different investment where if she walked in, I gave her what she wanted. I probably would have had a complaint at some point with the market dips and that level of volatility. She didn't understand. She just said it's a good fund. So it's you have to take that client through the journey. That's mm -hmm. going to be the key. Those presenting symptoms, right? They come in saying, oh, my toe hurts. Meanwhile, yes. it's a hard problem. Yeah. No, I, I, I must say, I think I, I take the Dr. House approach to finance and that is you really have to point clients out where they are silly to help them understand. Now, I'm probably not on that level he does it, but you really have to make clients question themselves um, so that they, because that's your job is you need to really help people engage with themselves. If you're not doing that, I don't think you're adding value and that's why clients will seek other places because if you like that's why I always tell people is why we will always be better than AI is because we can have these engagements technology yes it can have a complex decision tree to guide clients through decisions but it can never read into what's meaningful to the client um, get to what really matters the most and to tie in with that Estian if you if you look at the generative AI where most people are saying it's the quality of the prompt, it's the quality of the questions that actually determines, and that's exactly what you said, mm. it's what questions to ask to get to the answer. Mm. We don't know where to start. No. And actually the role of financial planners or consultants are to help clients figure out where's the best place to start right now so that you're in a better position mm. X amount of years later. No, I think the problem with AI and now, what I like I said is I think it's important that you split AI into two categories. The sort of AI we have today is more of these complex decision trees that we have. It's not really a machine learning in its true sense what we think in movies and where it's a machine that actually develops in a thought process completely. I think we're still an odd few years away from that. Now, chat, GTP and those things are quite exciting in terms of what it does, but it's still the key is it's dependent on the input. Now, I can tell you from experience dealing with large number of people is the quality of the inputs you get is scary. And if the quality of the input determines the output in the current AI models, there's a high risk. And that's why I say is even with consultants, the inexperienced ones I've seen, the young guys, sometimes they don't pick up in, on the important cues, which actually could mm -hmm. be the key. So for instance, um, a client that said, oh, I've been in and out of the hospital a lot and sorry, I'm, I missed our meeting. And then the guy just go writes a life annuity, but he never asked, oh, well, why have you been in and out of the hospital? Is there a medical condition? Um, so the key is you really need to be quite listening to the cues, but that's something you pick up from experience. There's no course you can take. I didn't go and take a course. Um, it's just something that you pick up and 
I don't think I'm a very good people person. Um, I don't have a lot of friends. I'm not very sociable, but I've sort of learned how to engage with people by failing a lot, seeing clients, getting no's, and then learning why I've gotten that no. I think that's something you have to engage is, if I received the no, I, I haven't ever called up a client and said, why did you tell me no? But I've asked myself, why would this guy have said no? And you can usually find that answer if you want to be truthful to yourself. You can find the reason. And that's such a big thing. If you want to be truthful to yourself as yeah. a financial planner to improve. Estian, as we come towards the end of this conversation, what's next for you? Like, what are you working on in terms of skill development or areas that you want to focus on as a, as a financial planner? Yo, uh, so much. I think one thing I'm working on is simplicity, just streamlining my process so that it's more uniform in what I do. I think all of us have a Franken system. So we have all the technology. I'm using Calendly here. I'm using a tool there. But the integration of the tools in a unified client journey is sort of what I'm focusing on, um, getting that right. So that, And also with the new online engagements, I found during COVID, I found it easy because everything was online. But now that I'm finding the hybrid model, scheduling my days and just understanding how I can more efficiently deal with my clients, because one thing technology brought is more clients. Now, seeing more clients, I have to do more admin. So I have to explore the option of getting a para planner. So to more focus on doing what I don't like doing and get to more what I want to do. So I think you constantly have to change in this industry and challenge yourself. I have a rule. Um, I tell my kids as well, if you're ever comfortable, you're not growing. Um, and I found it of myself, and I think I'm annoyingly at that point, irritate myself because as soon as I feel, oh, I've done well, I start getting anxious because then I realize I'm not growing. I need to change something. So I don't know if it's a mental condition, but uh, that's probably where I'll be the rest of my life, annoyingly changing all the time. <laughs> what a great way to end our conversation. May this annoying <laughs> changes forever last. Uh, thank you for a great conversation. Thank you for a great friendship. Yeah. Estian, I wish you all the best. Thanks, Louis. Appreciate it.